Hey, welcome to Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is part two. Oh, man, really fun one. This is Lester Bowie is our topic, and my guest is Melvin Gibbs. It's February 15th, 2016. You know, I mean, not all these guys that we talk about are necessarily such... Uh, honorable characters worthy of personal reverence and some of them we just don't even know personally or never did and but we just love the music but uh lester Bowie, you know what my crowd right uh, most of the guests that i have if you ask them about lester Bowie, or if you just ask them to name somebody that they really thought the world of personally Lester Bowie is one of the first names that would come up. He was revered for his creativity and joie de vivre and swagger. You'll hear Melvin and, and me talking about this. But this is, a, I'm always saying in these intros, oh, this one's really special. Oh, this one's really special. All right. I hope you like it. Um, it ends kind of cold. I'm missing the last part of this recording. I'm really sad to say, if you happen to have it, if you recorded this show in 2016, please do let me know. I would love to append it. But we got most of the show. We've got uh, about like five-sixths of the program. And the part that we're missing at the end is mainly just music playing. So I really, I think all they're missing is just saying goodbye and thanking Melvin for coming. So Melvin, thank you for coming. All right, enjoy the program. And uh, come find us. Tell us what you think on, um, go to uh, go to Instagram, go to deepfocuspodcast.com and tell us what you think. All right, here's part two, show Melvin Gibbs on the topic of Lester Bowie. Just play with whoever was there. And, you know, I would imagine that that was, you know, the context when I met him. And the thing that's interesting about him, both him and his brother, Joe, they always, you know, there's a certain generation of guys that call me by my last name, like Gibbs. You know, know, and they'd always, it'd be like, they'd always be like Gibbs. And in the early days when, you know, I first moved out of my mom's, I lived in Fort Greene, which was not the Fort Greene it is today. (laughs) I lived on Ashland Place between uh, DeKalb and Fulton. Mm -hmm. And I was an extremely struggling musician, you know. And there was a lot of times, you know, this was before cell phones. And so this was like back when you had the house phone. And there was a lot of times when my phone was like, I had no phone. Yeah. But all the guys in the neighborhood, you know, knew where I was, what they wanted me. They would literally come like knock on the door, you know. It's like, and you were around the corner from Lester. Yeah. So, you know, he, you know, I remember him, you know, driving by in his car, ringing the bell, dang, Gibbs. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And come, you know, come get me for gigs or whatever, you know. And, you know, and... And it would always be great. It, that situation, you know, the, the first time I played with him, it was one of those literally like he came and like rang the doorbell, like we, we got a gig type situation. <laughs> and uh, Get your toothbrush. And that was how I was able to pay the phone bill that month. <laughs> and uh, it was it was always great running into it in running into him in the airport was always great. Yes, I mean that yes. that would that I I think. If I counted up all the times that I was actually with Lester, at least half of them, no, probably two thirds of them were 
like running into him in various airports around the world because uh, he was all as he was always moving. Yes. So it always be like, hey, what's up? Where you going? You know, it's like that. So and it always be great. You know, various stories that are not safe for work <laughs> that I can't share. I and could I share if this wasn't if this wasn't if this this wasn't not wait safe. I still probably still wouldn't even if I could. But. Now now maybe Thursday. All right. Now we're going to change gears a little bit in the conversation. Uh, this is WKCR Melvin Gibbs on point talking about Lester Bowie on Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman, and uh, you mentioned earlier you are curating a performance venue, and. Uh, Maybe certain NSFW stories might come to light. It depends. Maybe <laughs> you might. We might if have good. It. If you're good, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll pull a couple out. It depends, <laughs> and depends on who you know. Depends on who you know. What mood I'm in, and you know what level of deniability I can pull off that night. No, that wasn't really. I didn't mean. I made that up. That's not true. Yeah, I can do one. Yeah, of those. I, I never knew you to work blue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey. Ta, ta, ta. Yeah. But, uh, no. Uh, Tell us a little bit about The Owl. The Owl is a great new space in Brooklyn, 487 Rogers off of Midwood at Midwood Street, uh, Leffitt's Gardens near Prospect Park, run by the guitarist, bassist, songwriter, great guy, Oren Blodow of the band Elysian Fields and many other bands. And he's been working on this space for a while, and he finally got it up and running, I guess, in November. And it started off with a a week of Elysian Fields, sort of like, I think it was 20th anniversary shows. And he asked me to, you know, put out a month. So I, I went in my magic hat and pulled out some people. The first two weeks were uh, Brandon Ross and Charlie Burnham, who's also a Leffitt's Garden person. I'm not going to tell you where he lives, but <laughs> if you live in a neighborhood, you've probably run into him in the street. And uh, this weekend is going to be an up-and-coming keyboard player named Paul Wilson, who I played with with uh, Arto Lindsay, who's working on a new record with us, who's going to do some interesting things. He's got some of his friends coming in. And basically what Oren wanted to do is have like choir to music. So you're not going to, for me, next week I'm going to play solo. Next Friday and Saturday I'm going to play solo. And I'm going to, I spoke to a great filmmaker friend of mine who I'm doing some stuff with, uh, a man named Arthur Jaffa, who was the cinematographer for Daughters of the Dust and Crooklyn and a lot of great things. And he's uh, kindly gave me a bunch of footage that I'm going to play along to. So I'm going to do one set solo and one set kind of silent movie stuff. Daughters of the Dust was a beautifully shot film. Yeah, so it's, it's all beautiful stuff like that. I'm not promising I'm going to play beautiful <laughs> to it, uh, uh, but I'm going to play me. Oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll stick my neck out in that one. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so so that's what I'm going to be doing next week. And, and on this Thursday and next Thursday is going to be Deep Focus. Deep Live. Focus. This has never been uh, even thought of, at least by me, as a live performance sort of um, presentation but uh, this was your idea. Yeah, you're way past due, Mitch, this time. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Melvin, you asked me to bring it. Yes, and I basically I said, boxed uh, him in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said I'll do it if you're the guest. Yeah. So we're gonna. that's going to be the, the holdover. Because truth is, we've got a lot of great music mm. to play tonight. And uh, if we stop yakking, we'll get to some of it. But 
uh, there's still going to be plenty of great stuff left that um, I know people are going to want to hear. And uh, be great to see you. And uh, you know, have a whole different experience of this. Yeah, sitting in the room with us, and it's not. You know, I tell you, one of the things that drove me to come up with this format for the show is, uh, and I, I've never talked about this on mic or off, but um, I think about like uh, high school. You know, we used to actually get together in college, and you'd hang out in somebody's room, and you know, they'd play some. Miles, something for you to be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm taking that this. off. No, don't take that off. Let it finish. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll let it finish. But then I got this other thing. You got to hear this. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's old. I've heard that. You've heard that? I heard about that. Oh, no, 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 no. I got to play this for you. And uh, that whole thing. And that uh, something happens when we, we, I don't know if it's getting older or the way the world's changed, the way we consume media, that that doesn't happen so often. And I, it was something really beautiful about that about sharing music together yes. so uh yeah we're gonna thursday at the owl thursday at the owl for what was it for 487 rogers rogers 487 rogers avenue all right now i gotta ask you since you're a uh well not purely speaking a lifelong brooklynite but a native brooklynite at least is leffert's gardens next uh next is uh <laughs> The question is how far the where 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 is the influx going to stop? I predict yeah. the influx will stop at Church Avenue. Okay, it's already hit. There's a wine bar. I'm actually back in that neighborhood right now. I've I've sold out my hipster cred. I'll be back in Hipsterville probably by the summer, mm-hmm. or not. I don't know. You know, but uh, there is a wine shop two blocks in one direction. Mm-hmm. And there is a coffee shop across the street. Mm. So mm. Telltale signs. Yes, those are the two signifiers of <laughs> your neighborhood has, has, has gone the way of all flesh. But I think that neighborhood is going to keep a different flavor. It's not going to be like Harlem simply because it's a different set of people. Yes. And the, the set of people in that neighborhood, uh, they're much more, they're going to defend their culture more. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing some interesting kind of takes on how people are interfacing with the neighborhood. It's not the kind of bed thing where you see, you, know, some, you almost sometimes you feel like you're in, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> well, but you walk by a place in bed and you'll see like. Parallel universe. Yeah, exactly. It's parallel. Totally yeah. like separate worlds. It's like, yeah. it makes me think of those, uh, that M.C. Escher paintings he did where there's like, the guys walking on the treads of the stairs yeah. and the guys walking on the exactly. risers of yeah. the stairs and they are yeah on separate uh, separate planets whereas the the new people in the, like the new like bar owners whatever seem to be making a point of hiring people who are either from the neighborhood or who know people from the neighborhood so there's not as much a transition of clientele and the people who have already had establishments in the neighborhood seem to be like hiring hipsters to kind of mm-hmm. like so this is a weird kind of crossover. Everybody's being forced to be in the same place at the same time. Good. No, no one's get no one's getting a pass. Good. That's yeah. that's how it's supposed to be in New York. Yes. Yeah. So I think you know, and plus, I always tell people who move into that part of Brooklyn, it's kind of like there's one rule, and that's we play our music. So no one's going to stop playing their music for you. So if you don't like right. dance hall or soca or any kind of reggae, there's other neighborhoods in New York for you. 
Right. <laughs> and right. if you don't like trap music, or you, there's other neighborhoods in New York for you, because people in that part of Brooklyn are going to play their music, and they're never going to stop. How's how's the roti? Oh, uh, it's it's you know it's still there, you know. <laughs> okay. Man, I had a you 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 know it's like I had this hipster roti, and no, I didn't actually. I had a hipster a bake. You know, this that's the flip side of it. It's not now you have like your your little Jamaican place in Williamsburg or whatever, and it's, it, it was okay. I'm not going to hate on it, but. <laughs> the prices were con- the right. prices were not the prices I am used to. Right, right. And you get a little Dixie cup. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like, how much is this now? You know, on the block, this is how, this 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 is the same thing from the block, but it's like three times the price. What's going on here? Well, you know, it's uh, locally sourced, uh, non-GMO. Yeah, whatever. Roti, it's chickpeas, you know? dude. <laughs> and they're the same. They're, yeah, yeah. Come on, you know. It's, <laughs> locally sourced non-gmo yeah i mean you know whatever so now is there live music at the owl every night or is it uh, thursday through through thursday friday saturday thursday friday saturday at the owl so yes. come on out come early for the roti stay for the music yes and uh the owl 487 rogers, rogers avenue in lefferts gardens which yeah. if you don't know well you know you can google it now i guess but yeah. uh what what's uh is that near the two and five? Yes, it's near the two and five. That's the close. Yeah, it's the two and five. It's the opposite side of the park from Park Slope. Yeah. So and it's a very nice. Apparently, uh, you know, his that block is not a landmark block, but the blocks around there are. And apparently, at some point in the distant past, before subways were invented. That was actually the rich person's suburb. Mm. That's why there's a lot of like landmark houses and like brownstones that cost way too much money around there. So. I love those <laughs> layers of history. Yes. I was a history major. I'll oh, have you know. Oh, were you now? Yeah. I oh, so you knew up. how to you knew how to write a research paper. <laughs> I did. That comes into play on this show. Speaking speaking of live music, uh, you're listening to WKCR. Melvin Gibbs is here, and we've got Lester. Buoy in deep focus, and yes. this is a thrill because uh, Lester's a thrill. Yes, and hearing Lester's music that we've never heard before is a big old thrill. I think we got to stay in Leuwarden. Oh, we're gonna stay there. Do you mind? We'll stay in Leuwarden. <laughs> yeah, my Dutch accent is so weak. I, I'm, I'm feeling bad right now. I was in a band with a Dutch guy for years. My Dutch accent is horrible. Got to. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get that cheese thing going. Yes. Yes. Uh, press the button on the back. Yes. And swipe. Swiping. Did it work? Swiping. Yes, it's swiping. Ah. So we're in uh, Leovarden, March of 1991. And I think I get the impression this is a um, kind of a, it's a festival, but it's, I think, a, at a venue, right? The Harmony. Yeah, Harmony. Yeah, which I don't know. Now you, you you know I've I've done been through. I thought I'd been through all of Netherlands. I don't know, recognize the name of this town. I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. Leeuwarden, mm. but uh, I'm that sure it's good. there. Yeah, it's there. It's probably it's probably know the place. The club is still there. Yeah, yeah. I got to take a look. I got to look that up. But uh, now I always like to give a little color. Yeah. Melvin, you you've been all over the world. Yes, Music I has have. taken you, many opened places. many a door. Yes, it has. Um, Netherlands has uh, 
a very particular kind of vibe to it, doing shows there. Yeah. What do you say? Yeah, because, well, you know, I guess it's kind of like Colorado now. Huh? <laughs> There's that. There's that. Yes. The audience yes. is always kind of flat. And if you don't, you know, you're looking at them like they might not clap. And you're kind of like, what's wrong with the audience? <laughs> and then after you realize, oh, that's why they're they're just like, hey. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Uh, that's not, it's funny because that's not exactly what I was thinking. What were you thinking? Well, uh I have always found it to be one of the most friction-free kind of places. And production's usually really good. Oh, the, the production's always great. The sound is always incredible. Yeah. And yeah. The, 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 the vibe is cool. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're hearing this. And, and the thing is, the notes for this are kind of like, yeah, this is kind of like a eh, recording for for. For Dutch radio, this is just an okay recording. This is not a yeah. great recording. <laughs> this is the level that they're operating on. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and people are like, I, I remember uh, doing a show one time in Amsterdam, as a matter of fact, and coming from other countries where things were a little more staticky, and I said something to the local crew. Like, you know, I complimented them, and I thanked them, and they were like, well, we're here to make sure you guys have a great show. That's why we're here. Why are you thanking us for that? That's yeah. why we're here. I was like, wow, I, I've never heard anybody yeah. say that before. No, that's very true. And it's, that's one of the things for sure that I always appreciate about Holland. It's always the show itself is n- once you stepped on stage, the issues end. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like there's a lot of places in the world you step on stage, the issues start. But mm-hmm. Holland is the exact opposite of that. It's like, especially like you say with the sound. And one of the things for me as a bass player is like, early on, they understood bass. That's probably the yes. country in Europe that understood bass first. Yes. So it's oh, I'm always, it's always a great show there. It's always a great vibe. And yeah, I mean, I do yeah, the professionalism of, of the of the music crews in Holland is definitely something to. Remarkable, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I like to think that uh, guys are in a good mood here in Leuwarden. Yes, and it sounds great. And certainly from what we're hearing. So uh, remind us who's in the band. Okay, we got Arthur Blythe on alto, Hamia Blewett on Barry. Those are saxophones for you mm-hmm. people. Uh, Don Pullen on the Hammond organ. Famadou Don Moyer from Art Ensemble on drums, and the master himself, Lester, on trumpet. This is exciting. You've never heard this. You have never heard this music. It's from the WKCR archives. Melvin Gibbs putting Lester Bowie in deep focus on WKCR. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. We've enjoyed playing for you tonight. Hamlet Fluid. Don Pullen. Hold on. Bamadou Don Moyer. Thank you very much. Thank you. I love those strangled, gargling little, I'm just going to call them Lesterisms. Yeah, exactly. You're listening to WKCR-FM New York or WKCR-HD1. I'm Mitch Goldman. The show is called Deep Focus, and we're trying to give a little demonstration of why Melvin Gibbs is my guest and we are putting our deep focus on Lester Bowie. He's not the easiest guy to focus on. No. It's like he's there right in front of you, but when you try to put your finger on it, somehow it's not in that spot you thought it was. No. It's just a little off to the left someplace. Yeah, he's like the, he's like the reverse of one of those. Like He's the reverse of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Yeah, I'm going deep on y'all. As, soon, yes, as, you try, as soon as you try to measure him, he moves away. It's the exact opposite. It's a little bit. More Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Yeah, I exactly. <laughs> Gödel's, yeah, so this is good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's beguiling. Yes, and it's those. Maybe we need a trumpeter to explain to us about that that technique and the way that he kind of plays and doesn't play and kind of chokes the instrument a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Grab that mic right there, David. Yeah, yeah. David Acevedo is our uh, intern, and fortunately for us, a uh, genuine practicing trumpeter. And you've been soaking this in for a couple hours now. Yeah. yeah. Where are we just uh, knuckleheads that are easily distracted by tinsel? <laughs> no, I mean, Lesser, as you can hear, does all kinds of extended techniques. Uh, one of the most prominent being uh, using what's called half valving. Um, if you press down any combination of valves only halfway, you can get what sounds like kind of, like you said, a strangled sound or, you know. Um, and also, he, he growls a lot, which means you're playing while, uh, while using Vocalizing. Your, yeah. yeah, while vocalizing. Um, all kinds of stuff. He, he's a master of the, the pedal range, which is lower than the trumpet should technically go. Um, as you also heard, he, he just blow air through the horn and still make music like that without actually playing notes. He's... All kinds of stuff. And he's, it's not that he's just randomly, okay, I'm going to make this thing do something it's not supposed to do. He's, in my listening to it, 
masterfully in control of that whole vocabulary. Oh yeah, yeah. He he'll make the trumpet do whatever he he wants it to do, and that's that's why that's why he's so great. You know? And it, it's really easy to do that on a trumpet, right? <laughs> no, not at all. No. no, the stuff he does takes takes many many years to master for sure. Wow, very cool, David. I'm glad I asked the right guy the right question. <laughs> Thank you. And Melvin, that David used a phrase that is very familiar to you and to, I think, everybody who was part of Lester's musical universe, extended technique. That is, seems to be part of a given, part of the practice of everybody of that generation of expanding the vocabulary. Yeah, you definitely want to do take the take whatever instrument you have and make it go past whatever it's supposed to be doing. And yeah, he was definitely the master of that and definitely all of those kind of extended techniques went on whatever horn is definitely a, a big part of all of the guys of that generation and, you know. And on string instruments you have things like guitar feedback or different effects that you use, but with guys on horns they actually use their bodies to do some of those same things. And it's really amazing to hear, like some, like you said, like the strangle sounds or the sounds that are lower than the range of the instrument. You know, some very unique things there. Kind of make it's interesting too that uh, one might think it's a different thing playing a traditional acoustic instrument that's been around for hundreds of years, as compared to. I mean, you play an instrument that's it was invented in the fifties or whatever. Yeah, it's like brand new. It's like, yeah. well, you know, let's see what this does. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, here he's doing this with this thing that's like seems to be set in stone. Yeah. But uh, and maybe it was until Buster Bowie picked it up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's the whole thing of you know the whole uh, uh, what you know guys of my generation called African continuum, African continuum, and what uh, Lester used to call great black music, which is taking things that work particularly from the European culture and just kind of reinserting them into African-based culture. So taking a, a, a piece of technology that was used to, for a European symphony instrument and making it do all kinds of sounds that it was not designed to do and speak to a certain kind of uh, cultural bend that it wasn't made to it wasn't supposed to do, you know, yeah. and it's and definitely with the trumpet and all those, all the air-based instruments to really bring out the vocal quality of those instruments is something that was a big thing of what jazz musicians in general did for those instruments, you know, to kind of make them more human than they were, you know, supposedly, you know, uh, designed to do and you know there's people have come up with very various medical metaphorical reasons why that happened but I, I you know beyond all of that it is it is the part of the tradition of you know that comes up even today you know even the way people use you know like i said the way hendrix would play the guitar or even the way the kids in the bronx use the sampler is kind of like it wasn't you know just grabbing one drum from you know, a loop or whatever, and using it to put music together in a way that it wasn't designed, it wasn't, that wasn't thought of when the people originally thought of what you were supposed to do with the instrument. And, uh, yeah, that, that whole continuum is what makes 
Lester, you know, still valid, you know, at this point in history where, you know, he's he's been gone for a while now. And that music is very much of his generation and of his time. But the way he's approaching it, it, it's got stuff in it that people still haven't really digested yet. So it's it's always a pleasure to listen to how he thinks about music because it's always it's always useful, I find. Tell me with Lester Bowie in mind and your experiences about the meaning of the word band. Haha, <laughs> a band. Yeah, well then, see, then it gets into the whole question of the meaning of the word jazz because you can have many <laughs> different kinds of bands. I mean, a band Well, you is, know, Lester addressed that too. Yeah. And one of the early uh, art ensemble recordings, he said, is jazz... Well, I don't want to get the, mess up the quotation. Maybe you know it better than no. I do. Is jazz, as we know it, dead? He says <laughs> that in the beginning of the tune. Then there's this whole wild improvisation, yeah. and like 20 minutes later, he comes back and he says, "Well, that all depends on what you know." <laughs> what you know, and that's <laughs> what it is. And it is a question. It really is a question of what you know, and it is a question of how people play together. It's two parts. A band is a bunch of is a group of musicians playing together, and they can have a center, you know, they can have a centered center thing where there's a leader who's who they're playing along with, or they can have something more like the art ensemble where it's a collective that's got a sound. But a band is a combination of the contributions of everybody involved. It's not, you know, it's not an orchestra like Duke. Duke, you know, it's funny. The Duke Ellington band was a weird kind of hybrid because it was both an orchestra and a band because the individual musicians were an integral part of what Duke was doing, but it was also very much, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, do this. But he never tuned the band. No. They, they never tuned up together. Mm. They showed up, everybody was, you just knew where you were. You that's knew where you, you had were. To know. And that's, that's the part of it that was the band. It's kind of like it's the, the, the sound of the totality is more important than... Uh, the sound of the individual that's that's what makes a band a band you know oh, having said that you know obviously you know the Miles Davis group or the John Coltrane quartet i mean there's you know there are visionary artists or the Lester Bowie's brass fantasy there's a visionary in front of it but the visionary is really only as good as the people around them you know and that's really that's really the the kind of uh the trick of of a great band. I mean, Train it was incredible, but can you imagine Train without Elvin McCoy and Jimmy Garrison? It's yeah. just like you can't, you know. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah. who knows how many great visionaries just never found that uh, never found their cohorts. Yeah. yeah, it's that's 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 it's true. It's that's that's the difference, you know. But Lester, it's funny we were talking about. Okay, Coltrane recorded with essentially one band with minor variations for for ten years. And that was it. Nothing before or after. Miles had a sequence of them. Yeah. Um, Lester is playing with three, four, five different ones, overlapping times, and each one of those ensembles feels like, you know, a band of marauding merry men mm -hmm. leaping off of a pirate ship behind, you know, fearless leader with the eye patch and the the parrot on his shoulder. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. doesn't it? It seems. I don't know what it was like. You know, I mean, you know. Miles wouldn't stay in the same hotel as the rest of the guys. Yeah. You know, he's like, I mean, I don't know what it was like on the road with them or mm -hmm. 
off stage or whatever, but it, it really, each one of these groups seems to have a distinct identity, sonic identity, and uh, you know, as you said, everybody's bringing their own thing to it, but it all kind of coalesces behind mm. those growls and squeaks. And yeah. Well, it's, I mean, the, the reason he was able to do so many different things is because of the, you know, the shared language that he was part of developing that he also disseminated through, you know, er, you know, everybody who kind of touched him, including myself. You know, you, you got to learn certain things about that vocabulary that those guys developed in St. Louis and then in Chicago. And then, you know, when he moved to New York, some of us kind of picked up on it and, you know, they had that shared language to, to, to work with. So that's how he was able to make these, uh, you know, this marauding band of pirates work no matter, you know. And, and it's interesting because it is very much, you know, of a time and place, a way of thinking about the world. You know, it's kind of like they did the thing, you know, the AACM thing last year with uh, D. Jeanette and those guys. And you can still hear that it's a very particular way of thinking about the world. You know what I mean? That, yeah. like, that, I, it's interesting. I did a show a couple of years ago that uh, Firon Aklaf uh, spearheaded in the music of Eric Dolphy. Mm. And the thing that surprised me about that show a couple of years ago was actually how fresh that music, that era of music feels now. And I think part of that is because, you know, to be blunt, part of it was that the Black Lives Matter movement kind of put this thing on the uh, on on society that made people start thinking about certain issues that they hadn't really thought about in the same context for a long time. And mm. I think people started that feeling of opening and that feeling of exploration as a kind of counter to this long era of retrenchment that started with you know, Reagan and is still unfortunately happening now with, you know, certain, you know, I don't want to get too political, but, you know, you know people know I'm going with this, know I'm going with this, so I'm going to leave it at that. So, uh, but my point being that this kind of free music has a, has a resonance for a new generation that it didn't have before. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's really exciting to me. And it's really, you know, I, th I think about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Lester's from Chicago, Obama's you know, spent time in Chicago and that whole, you know, what that what that may or may not mean for the idea of the particular conditions of a place like Chicago, which was so heavily segregated at the era when Lester grow up, grew up and you're dealing with the same segregationist type thoughts today unfortunately and just what that means for society and what this kind of music means for people who are trying to grapple with those issues again is you know it's, it's something to think about yeah yeah and uh i'm just remembering my last couple of conversations with lester actually which i hadn't thought about in a long time coming to mind he had this uh i wish i could remember the details of this i might even have a cassette somewhere of this new hip-hop thing that he was very excited about yeah that was the last gig i did with him was the the hip-hopper i think he yeah called it. yeah yeah and he was 
he was uh, really energized about it. Yeah, we did uh, Prospect Park Band Show. I missed that gig. Yeah, we did we did Prospect Park Band Show. Yeah, that was that was a great day. That was a great day. Yeah, he was he never stopped moving. You know, it's like something new came up. He was going to check it out. You know. Yeah. 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 I have, I have a, a letter. He sent me a letter about it. He was really, uh, really pumped up about the ideas and, and moving forward, as you said. Yeah. Mm. I, it makes you wonder what he would have to say today. He, he would have something to say. He would definitely sure. have something. He, it would be with a, with a smile yeah. and a glint and there'd be. There'd be a rock in the middle of that snowball. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> got to watch out for that. Oh, my head. And there's enough snow on the ground, and now you can make it happen, too. So you got to be careful. If you're walking down the street, watch out for them snowballs. Oh, yes. You are listening to WKCR. We call the show Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman, and Lester Bowie is where we've got our special magnifying glass focused. Melvin Gibbs, my guest in the studio tonight. We are going to continue this conversation Live, live, in person, live and direct, as they say. I'm trying to think how people are so accustomed to these uh, mediated experiences now. I'm not talking about a podcast. I'm not talking about you can tweet along with us. I mean, Melvin has uh, compelled your humble narrator to uh, participate in a a live gathering. We're yes. going to do this. You're going to be there with us Thursday night, three nights hence, at the Owl, which is a very exciting new venue in Lefferts Gardens, Brooklyn, 487 Rogers Ave. Yes, 487 Rogers Ave, Lefferts Gardens, Midwood Street. Be there. Tell all your friends. That's right. What you time know. is this jumping off? Eight I don't even ten. know. Eight and ten. Eight. Eight, oh, eight and ten. Two sets, two, baby. Two sets. Well, we I, can... I see. Okay. It's jazz. <laughs> right. All right. You know. Okay. Well, All right. You know, so, but, you know, it's not going to be as long as this show because it's two sets. It's not yes. like a you know, so yes. it's actually, it'll actually be a shorter a shorter gig. Than Is there a, a Sunday afternoon matinee? Uh, <laughs> five sets, baby. <laughs> five sets. But they're only 15 minutes long. Exactly. Short before the movie. <laughs> Shot before the movie. <laughs> Got the right. That's the stuff guys used to talk about. Yeah, man. That's I was how t- it was before I was tell- we came along. Yeah. I was telling somebody. I mean, the f- the first couple of years I started gigging. Yeah, I've been doing this a while now. They still had live music in burlesque houses back then. You know, so we'd be like, yeah, literally playing. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good resonance. <laughs> table right literally, literally playing behind strippers. Those were the days. Wow. You know I mean? And where are those women today? Uh. <laughs> so you're listening to WKCR. Yes, you are going to join us Thursday night. That is going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. That man. is going to be full of surprises. So who's that guy who does the acting studio? Oh yeah. Oh yes, James Lipton. Dang, so. Mitch is going to be a cross between James Lipton and, and Charlie Rose. You know, he's going to yeah. <laughs> try not to be as drunk as Charlie Rose. Like, no, you don't know Mitch. I'm, Mitch is, not, is nothing like Charlie Rose when it comes to that. He's 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 on the straight and narrow. But, I get drink tickets. Right? Yeah, you, is yeah. That you got my contract. Yeah, but okay. you're not going to be Charlie Rose, no. are you? So no. he always doesn't he look like he's always like 
<laughs> leaning over the like he's I, had one drink too many before the show started. Doesn't he look like that to you? Well, what I love about Charlie Rose is the way he answers his own questions. Yeah. See, that, I mean, that's a special gift for an interviewer. Well, that way he always gets the, that's why he, that way he always gets the answer he wants, right? Right, right. yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that about that guy. But we're not going to make, uh, we're not going to talk about what we're going to do. We're just going to do it. So you got to exactly. come, come down. Yeah, exactly. Come down there exactly. You got to come check you. it out. We want to see you in the place. Uh, the Owl, 487 Rogers Ave at, uh, where'd you, what, what stop is that? Uh, you can get off at Sterling Street on the 2 or Winthrop Street on the 2. Mm-hmm. All right. Or you can take, if you're feeling a little more, uh, you want a little more of a exercise, you can take the Q train to Prospect Park. Mm-hmm. And just stroll over. Yeah. You know, it's it's over there in that scenic neighborhood that you haven't moved to yet. But <laughs> I guess we'll all be happy to see you when you're finally there. That's right. And the hilarious thing is, like, I actually grew up not too far from there. And I always tell people, we spent our whole lives trying to get out of that neighborhood. And, everybody, <laughs> right. and everybody's, like, crowding their way in. It's like, who'd have thought, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not much Brooklyn left. That's the last one. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. All right. So uh, now we, uh, I, lo- I love doing these shows and having Melvin, you, or whomever sitting in the hot seat, uh, focus our attention on a particular person. Lester Bowie, we came up with some really spectacular live recordings, yes. archival recordings, unreleased, unknown to the world. Not in his discography, even. Nope. Like, this is truly, truly, exquisitely rare. Uh, we were listening to Leo Varden, 1991. We have another vintage we can pull the cork on. Yes. What are we, what are we talking about? We're talking about, we, we're talking about Bremen, Bremen ah, Deutschland. Bremen, yeah. Ah, so this is February 20th. Ah, das ist gut, yeah. 1986. No, I will not do my fake German accent because... <laughs> see, the thing you need to know about guys of my generation in Germany is that Germany, for many years, I don't know if it still is, was the second largest music market in the world. And oh, yes. We used to cross, crisscross that country three, four times a year. You know, I mean, I've been to places in Germany that most Germans haven't been to, you know. So, yeah, so we have our German accents <laughs> that we've been there many times. So this is not, this is nothing for us, you know. <laughs> right. Bremen, what about Bremen? Bremen. Did you play Bremen? That is where we recorded uh, Street Priest. Really? How about was that? was in some farm in Bremen. So we stayed out in some cow field in Bremen for a week. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so I've been, yeah, see, I t- I'm telling you, many, many, yes. That's, uh, is that northwest? Yes, northwest. It's on yeah. the way up towards the North Sea, but it's not all, yeah. the, w- it's not all the way up. Willemschaven is like tip, tippy, tip. That would be the next stop. Usually after Bremen, you hit Willemschaven and you've gotten, there's no more. You got to, after that, you get on the boat and go to Denmark or you go back, start going back down. And those days it was still two countries, so you couldn't, you wouldn't go the logical thing would be to keep going east and then eventually to Poland or whatever. But, you you know, that's what you would do now. But back then, right. you would just turn around and go back down. Bremen. And so this now, this is, the wall was still up, right? Yep. 1986, I think, this recording. Yep. So this is Brass Fantasy. 
uh, a very different approach from Lester Bowie, and we were talking about it a little bit earlier. I don't know if you were listening, um, and I love the way you characterized it as, uh, and it, it to- exactly the way it struck me then and now as Lester's kind of response to this gravitational shift of the earth seemingly in this uh, Reagan era um, Republicanism and Lester's response was I know how to do this I'm going to put on a pink satin jacket with the purple shawl lapels and have the whole band wearing actually no he had the band wearing pink satin jackets with matching purple shawl collars he had I don't know if you remember this. He had a, a a spangly white lab coat. It wasn't just a lab coat. I think it had like <laughs> sparkles. <laughs> yeah, it had the Neil Diamond da, da, da. shine yeah. to it. You can. I don't think this show that we're playing from tonight is on YouTube, but another show from that tour in Berlin is on YouTube, Yay. and you can see it in all these guys. Tell us who's in Brass Fantasy at this time. Well, according to our liner notes, which may or may not be correct, it's Rasul Sadiq, the great Rasul on trumpet, along with Lester on trumpet, Malachi Thompson on trumpet, Stanton Davis trumpet. On trombones is Steve Torre and Frank Lacey, which is probably correct. Vincent Chancy on French horn, all great musicians. The great Bob Stewart on tuba, and the... The other great, uh, may he rest in peace, Philip Wilson on drums. Yeah, a special nod to the one non-brass player in the band. Philip Wilson was a great, great mate and musical partner of Lester's for many years. Yes. And actually the original drummer in the Art Ensemble Chicago, which a lot of people forget about. And, um, yeah, they, uh, I think they were, he's on a, lot of Lester's records and they just always seem like musically of a one mind hive mind yes definitely definitely and uh yeah so uh this is right around the time that the album Avant Pop the second Brass Fantasy album came out mm. and uh let's get in the WKCR oh, chopper one thing before you, yeah. you you mentioned Neil Diamond my fun fact please Neil Diamond is actually from Flatbush. He's actually oh, yeah. not too. He probably was lived over there by where the Owl is. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Do we know what high school he went to? He went to Erasmus. Oh, really? Yeah, he, went <laughs> there to, you he, and he did some kind of weird. Uh, he went back to the school, and I don't know if I can remember if he did a little concert for the school or whatever. But he's a local boy. Yeah, Lo- local Leffitt's gardeners. Who who didn't thought? Yeah. No, he's like. Proudly, famously Brooklyn. I knew yeah, that. But I didn't know but, he was like an Erasmus boy. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure Lester would have something to say about that, too. Yeah. And he's going to say it with his horn. <laughs> All right. Come on, folks. We're going to Bremen. It's Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman. Melvin Gibbs is my guest. And the Deep Focus is on Lester Bowie on WKCR. Yay.
That's our show. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. The show is called Deep Focus. I'm always telling you how to find out about um, stuff that's coming up and where to subscribe and all that. Instead, this time I'm going to suggest that you tell me, or better yet, tell somebody you know who loves this music. And I'll tell you what you could do, actually. Um, Why not go to mitchgoldman.podbean.com or your favorite podcasting app, whatever that might be, and uh, just click on that you like us or give us five stars or whatever you have the opportunity to do, and I'll tell you why. It's not just that I love the love, but that will help people find us who don't know about us. You know, there are literally millions of podcasts and it doesn't really matter to me how many people listen. I'm just glad that you're listening. But I hate to think that anybody who's really interested in this music misses out on the opportunity to hear it because they just don't know. So give us a click. It's not so much to ask. I'm not asking for money or anything. All right. As long as you're enjoying it. It's Deep Focus. Yeah.